News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thursday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110 is always is the telephone number. And guys, follow me on X slash Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen. So the first part of the budget was passed today and the other part will be passed at like 12.01 midnight tonight. But one major important thing was put in the budget. There's 600 pages and only like a couple of paragraphs talking about this. The public officials in the state legislature will no longer have to give over private records, public records that are now, but no longer will have to give them over if they deem that it's not worthy of giving it over. So it basically means that the Freedom of Information Act no longer exists if you want to talk about individual people up there in the House legislature to make sure they're doing things on the up and up. They can destroy them. They can literally shred them, destroy them burn all the records and documents that they choose to because now they're in charge of their own house. They don't have someone overlooking it. And a lot of people are upset. So I thought it would be really good to talk to the editor-in-chief of the Carolina Journal, Donna King, about this. So first of all, Donna, thanks for joining me. And second of all, Donna, so from a 30,000-foot view, tell the listeners what exactly happened and what's going on. So the way North Carolina's public records law, which already was kind of a mess and we didn't really get much out of it, it needed improvement, tightening. Uh, But what it means is each government agency, for example, DOT and whoever, and now in the legislature, has a custodian of the records for their agency. So when North Carolina taxpayers, you know, fund their organization, they deserve to know what's going on. Uh, They have someone in their organization in charge of maintaining those documents. Sometimes that person is an administrative assistant. Sometimes it's the media, um, you know, a media communications person. It's hard to say who it is. That's part of the challenge is getting to the right custodian for the information so you can get a public record. Um, But in this case, the custodians of their own records are the lawmakers themselves. So in this paragraph in the new state budget, it says uh, that a custodian in the General Assembly can make a choice of what is uh, a public record and what isn't. And the stuff that isn't can be sent on to another agency. It can be destroyed. It can, you know, other things can happen to it. So there's already an exemption for personal information. For example, if they were to, you know, make a doctor's appointment using their official email, whatever it is, there are exemptions already in place for personal information. Now they get to decide what saved for posterity and public record and what isn't out of their own stuff. On a scale of one to 10, how big of a deal is this? Oh, I would say it's it's up there in the high nines because this really is uh, can be devastating for not just watchdog groups and journalists, but, you know, regular North Carolinians who don't think about these kind of things on their on an everyday basis. Journalists like me and you, we think about this all the time. I can hardly ever get records uh, from government agencies, and now it's going to be even harder, especially from the legislature. Is this a Republican thing, or is it a bipartisan thing? Well, it's bipartisan signed for sure, and I think that's one of the things everybody's talking about down there right now is that there's a lot of great things in this bill, good water and infrastructure investments, raises. There's a lot of really good, positive things that both sides can get on board. I don't know where this one paragraph came from. I mean, it's a 600-page bill, and this is one paragraph deep inside it. Talking with Donna King, the editor-in-chief there at the Carolina Journal. So, Donna, I was told earlier today that this is basically the exact same rules that are going on up in Congress in D.C. Were you aware of that? And what's your thought process when you hear that? Sure. 
you know, I really wasn't aware of that, and I, I don't know. Maybe it is the case. I've never had trouble getting anything from federal agencies. It's state agencies that I've had trouble with. Now, that said, I don't really go to the legislature that often looking for public records. Um, I'm, I'm mostly focused on executive agencies, and I get nothing from them, hardly anything from them when I do ask. And usually it's months, months late and far less than it really should be. Um, so what surprised me was this was a carve-out specifically for the General Assembly uh, lawmakers, the legislature in North Carolina. And they don't have a sort of gathering agency or custodian outside of their offices. They're their own custodian. So when you say a custodian decides what's public record and what's not, that means the individual lawmaker can choose what's a record and what's not out of his own stuff. Talking with Donna King, the editor-in-chief of the Carolina Journal. So Donna... So let's just hypothetically say that every single thing that the legislatures do from now until the end of time is perfect. This is still a bad look, though, right? Right, right. And, and you know, let's hope that everybody is. But, you know, we, we know realistically that may not be the case. Um, at a minimum, organizations like ours, watchdog groups, you know, everyday North Carolinians, they deserve to know what's going on. And if there could be something wrong with, like, a crosswalk in their community or whatever it is, it doesn't have to be about, you know, trading bags of money in the back of a Waffle House. It could be something very, very simple. And people deserve to have record of that. And if we're paying salaries and per diems and keeping the lights on down at the General Assembly, we deserve to have access to those records as well or at least have a process in place to determine objectively what is a public record and what isn't and have access to those in a simple way. Donna King, editor-in-chief of the Carolina Journal. From their standpoint, what legitimacy can they give to putting that inside the budget? Um, now, uh, this is my own, my own guess, this is my own thought. I've not heard anybody say this. But what I assume would have to be the reason is that we get so much information, so many emails, we have so much stuff available to us. We don't want, we don't have the servers, the size, the space to store every single record. And we need somebody who has the, has the mouse, is at the keyboard to be able to say, okay, this isn't really important and that is. But that's still a judgment call and that's the problem that we have with it. Talking with Donna King, editor-in-chief of the Carolina Journal. So, Donna, is there any type of retaliation that the media or the citizens can do about this now new law? I think that we may see, I mean, who knows? It's possible that we could see uh, organizations banding together and trying to take it to a judge to say, okay, this piece isn't isn't fair representation of what our public records law should be. But we need uh, we need to really revamp our public records law in the first place, even without this, because it's already a struggle to get information. Donna King, editor-in-chief of the Carolina Journal, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. Great to talk to you. Like I said, this is a really big deal, and a lot of media people are upset, but this impacts way more than media. This actually impacts you, that now they get to keep all the secrets that they want to up there in Raleigh. All right, when we come back, a wild thing going on up in Hickory, which may set a new precedent for lawsuits and tech companies. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thursday night. I'm breaking with Brett Jensen. Okay, so do you guys remember the situation up in Hickory, I don't know, a few months ago, a year ago, whenever it occurred? A guy was driving home on a bridge up in Hickory that had been washed out, that had not been in service or actually intact in like nine years. And it was late at night and he plunged to his death because the Jeep went down this ravine over the bridge that was no longer there. 
and he it turned upside down and he drowned and he had a wife and kids. It was a horrible situation. Well, his family is now suing Google Maps and that little community there, which did not inform anyone that the bridge is out and the barriers weren't there. And anyone technically could have just driven over that bridge into that ravine, into that water anytime at night because there was no warning signs or any barriers. So I thought this was a really cool story and a really interesting one. If you think about it, whether or not Google Maps is actually to be held liable for this because the person was following Google Maps. And Robin Kennedy did a story about this over there on Queen City News earlier. And I want you to hear this because it is really interesting. Well, right now at five, a family is suing Google and neighborhood developers nearly a year after a man's Jeep plunged into a hole where a bridge had previously collapsed in Hickory. Attorneys for the man's family say it's, quote, inexcusable that Google did not make corrections to Google Maps. Queen City News anchor Robin Kennedy tells us the man's widow hopes to prevent another tragedy. I still don't have the answer um, to tell my daughters. I don't have the answers to the question of why is daddy gone and why isn't he coming back? It happened on a dark, rainy night last September. Attorneys say before Phil Paxson left his daughter's birthday party at a friend's house in Hickory, he went to Google Maps for directions home. The lawyers say the path laid out by the GPS app sent him on a plunge to his death. To us, it's clear Google unmistakably knew uh, the condition of this road should not have been sending people over it. The road Paxson was directed to had a bridge that had collapsed nine years before. Attorneys say his Jeep flipped into the 20-foot canyon and filled with water, drowning him in a creek. I just struggle every day to understand how something so unimaginable and horrific could be allowed to happen. Paxson's widow is suing Google and the developers of a nearby neighborhood. Her lawsuit claims the big tech company failed to update maps after a user pointed out problems multiple times years before. Lawyers also say the original developers of the nearby housing tract never turned over the road to the North Carolina DOT. They're also accused of failing to set up proper maintenance agreements for the road and never replacing the bridge on 24th Street Place. There is absolutely no good reason that this cliff and this canyon were allowed to exist for nine years and 10 years to this day. We checked out Google's current street view of the road and it still shows images from 2012 of the bridge still intact before its collapse. But Google Maps with GPS now does seem to route around the closed road. Google tells Queen City News, quote, we have the deepest sympathies for the Paxson family. Our goal is to provide accurate rounding information in maps, and we are reviewing this lawsuit. Just breaks my heart for my girls. I mean, the loss is immeasurable. Alicia Paxson says she does her best to honor her husband and talk about him with her children. When I think about what a great father he was and how important it was to him um, being a father. Robin Kennedy, Queen City News. Let's bring in Queen City News Chief Legal Analyst Khalif Rhodes to dive deeper into this case. Khalif, it's so tragic. I've spoken to Alicia. I was out there shortly after it happened and what this family is going through. It's just horrible. But speaking legally from your experience, can Google and Google Maps be held responsible for this? I mean, this case is definitely horrific. I mean, it's terrible. This is something that you for sure would not want to occur on any type of incident 
Um, and so it's like any other personal injury matter um, where a person dies as a wrongful death claim. And so you're talking about a wrongful act or negligence. If it, looking at negligence, just quickly breaking it down, damages, death. And so that's mm -hmm. the worst type of damages that you can have. Um, was there a duty and did they breach that duty? Those are the first two questions. And then was it the proximate cause? But for their action of not doing what they were supposed to do, did this person die? I think in this claim, the hardest portion to connect Google to any type of liability would be the duty. Did they actually have a duty to provide him with a road that was, or directions that gave him a safe path? Mm -hmm. And that's something I think that's a unique issue. That's a unique question. That's something that I don't think has ever been asked before by the courts. Um, not only do I have a duty to provide you directions to point A to point B, but did I have a duty to provide you directions that were safe? Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate question. Do I believe that there's liability and accountability for the owners of that private road? For sure. Um, I think they had a duty to, to put up some barriers, to put up notices, and it doesn't seem like they were there. I mean, the troopers at the time said that the barriers were removed. Mm -hmm, so I think were. accountability for those folks is there. I think it's going to be extremely hard for the family to point in to present liability to Google. Now, this claim, I think, in the long run would probably end up settling anyway. Nobody wants to be connected to this type of claim, but you for sure would want to see how you can connect them to a duty, and I think it would be hard for them to do. So you think that would be kind of the pitfall is how do you, you know, link this directly back to it is Google's fault? With most claims, the, the hardest portion is that proximate cause. But for your actions, it, you caused me an injury. Second hardest thing is did you even have a duty? Did you have a responsibility to do something? And have mm -hmm. you breached that duty? If I can't even say that you had a duty, there's no claim. And so I think this will survive any type of pretrial motions. But I think if you get this question in front of a jury, they'll have to determine did you have a duty? And, and, and right now... I think it's really hard to say I have a duty to provide you safe mm -hmm. directions. Not to mention they'll also be looking at who actually owned the road and should have been responsible for those repairs. Khalif, thank you so much for your time. Like I said at the beginning, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this lawsuit. You know, you heard the one lawyer there at Queen City News say, hey, that community's probably liable. Not quite sure about Google Maps. It really is an interesting concept to think about who's responsible for it. You're providing a service. Does that mean it always has to be accurate? It's just a, it's just an odd situation, and it'll be interesting to see where we go from here as we become more and more tech-reliant. With that being said, let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thursday edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110, as always, is the telephone number. And guys, follow me on Twitter, X, whatever it is you want to call it, at Brett underscore Jensen. So earlier in the week on Monday was the 60th anniversary of CPCC, otherwise known as Central Piedmont Community College. And I had a chance to go sit down and talk with Dr. Candy Dietemeyer. She's the president over there at Central Piedmont. I just wanted to talk to her about the community college itself. I didn't realize how big it was. I knew it was big. And I was like, well, you know what? I think it's bigger than Winget when you include, like, the square footage of the buildings and the students. And, I mean, I didn't realize there were 40-something thousand students that go there. But that seems to make sense, either full-time or part-time. But I talked to her earlier in the week about just Central Piedmont Community College and the impact it has on the community and, you know, where it's going from here. Hey, are they ever thinking about having sports teams like Gaston Colleges integrated and also junior colleges all over the Southeast and Midwest do? So I talked to Dr. Candy Dietemeyer about these very issues, and here's how this went. So over the last uh, week or so, what are the celebrations that have been going on here on campus? How have you celebrated? So yesterday was the official 60th. So 68 years of Central Piedmont, you know, serving this amazing community. 
and every day this week we'll do something on one of our six campuses to celebrate with faculty staff and students whether that's cake and ice cream or just today part of our 60th which we typically do but we held it today um, we had our teaching faculty and teaching excellence awards and just we're able to champion all the great work our faculty are doing with students and then every year we do value awards based on our six core values and recognizing two individuals who carry out those core values on a, on a regular basis and recognize those uh, individuals. All of those awards are um, put up by their peers and so to be recognized as their peers. So it's really great that we held that as part of this week's celebration as well. Okay, so I kind of looked at you funny when you said six campuses. Explain that to me. Well, you, uh, before we started this, told me that you've only been on campus a couple times in your longevity here in Charlotte. I won't call out the years. I'll let you do that. Um, but over the course of the 60 years, the citizens um, of Mecklenburg County and, of course, the county commissioners have been great to the college. We have six campuses and two centers. And I know you said this campus, but right now it's really not one campus any longer. This, yes, the central campus gets a lot of attention because there's lots of buildings. It's kind of the center um, of what we do. But we have five suburban campuses spread out through Mecklenburg County from the north to the south. Um, and then we have a, the Cosmetology Center as well as WTVI as part of the college's footprint. So a lot of folks forget that we have built out six campuses across across the footprint of Mecklenburg County over the years. Talking with Dr. Candy Dietemeyer, the president here at Central Piedmont Community College. So let's test your history knowledge a little bit of the campus. Oh, no. So how big was the campus when it first opened up 60 years ago, to say maybe to compare to where it is now? It was quite small. You know, probably you are just in my history. So a couple hundred students at the time, uh, two institutions came together and then we have built out from there and now 60 years later we have awarded over a hundred thousand credentials throughout the years and up to about 43,000 students again enrolled and lots of capacity to continue to invite people in to get a credential a degree so it's it's been a magnificent kind of trajectory upward i know when i was in school a thousand years ago that if you went to junior college or community college it was looked upon as a slight I mean, that was just the stigma. But where we are now in the society and everything else, that a lot of times now is the first choice, and a lot of people believe the smart choice, as opposed to going to a four-year school, spending $80,000 to major in an occupation that's going to pay you $30,000 a year. Right. Can you just talk about the transformation of what the thought process or the stigma of uh, a community college or a junior college? I would love to. So I, this is my 32nd year in higher ed. The majority of that minus two years has been at community colleges. And I always said that I would never retire until the narrative about community colleges changed. So I probably still have several years to go. I do think we're on a different trajectory. There's lots of factions for that, factors for that probably. But I'm a community college graduate. And so I'm the fifth of five children, you know, raised by parents who are hardworking, you know, someone in construction, a bookkeeper. And um, I know what the community college did for me. And then, of course, I went on to transfer and, and have wound up hopefully doing great things. So the narrative that the majority of folks who come here just want to get a technical degree and go right to work, we do a lot of things around workforce and career training, absolutely. But that's only 30% of our enrollment. The majority of individuals who come to Central Piedmont have an intention to transfer and do. Um, many come here for just a credential, could last a year, could last a semester, and get great skills and then go out into the workforce. So I do think the narrative about what we do and how we do it and how well we do it 
um, is up on the upswing. And again, um, I've seen the transformation of thousands of people's lives over the years that I've been doing this, whether it be at Central Piedmont or other places. And the impact of that you just is transformational uh, for not only an individual, but for their families. So especially in Charlotte, when we talk about how do we take someone, give them skills, and give them a greater future in terms of socioeconomics, there's no greater place to do that. And the college is so affordable. You know, it's $76 a credit hour, to your point about how, how maybe unaffordable it is at other places. $76 a credit hour. I tell parents all the time, three credits, you can do the math. Times that by 60 hours if you want to do two years. And then it's, it's very affordable. The other part of what I think people miss is the strong partnership we have with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. We have thousands of students that are dual enrolled. Um, getting their high school credential for sure, but also getting college credit at the same time. And that tuition is free and it's waived. If you are, see, you're looking at me funny again. I'm teaching you today, Brett. Um, that career and college promise dual enrollment pathway is a transformational pathway for a student. They get their high school credential, they earn college credit. Hopefully they'll stay and finish the two years degree and, and go into the workforce or if they wanna go on to, a, to a, a four year institution. So you could leave with a two year degree that you didn't pay anything for it. The tuition is waived by the state as part of that partnership and then go on to a four year institution as a junior um, through the, our many articulation agreements with our, our four year partners. And that's two years paid for. And when we talk to families about that, they don't know either. So us working together with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools to make sure more families know about that and students qualify is an absolute game changer. Thousands of students are already doing it. Talking with Dr. Candy Dietemeyer, the president here at Central Piedmont Community College. Junior college sports and community college sports is big across the Southeast, football and basketball. Gaston College just brought it back in with basketball mm -hmm. you, and, and I think softball and baseball. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's ever been discussed or approached about here? So I get asked a lot um, over the years that I've been here. It'll be seven years in January that I've been here. I've been asked almost every month or every week that I've been on the job. So it does come up. Our students um, really want club sports, which we've done in an, uh, you know over the years. We used to have an athletics team um, many years ago, and so that was Sunset. So it is something that we've continued to look at, um, having conversations with students. How, where do we do that? Even though we have a large footprint throughout Mecklenburg County, you know where would a good partnership be for fields? We certainly have a gym where we could probably do basketball so those are ongoing conversations as you know it takes an incredible amount of investment to do athletics and to be competitive some great schools as you mentioned not only in the North Carolina Community College system but as community colleges who have some very great teams it is a great draw for students who want to continue to play um, and then you know either work them their way up uh, to a four-year so it is something that we've we've looked at there's a lot of work to be done to make the case so to speak is this the right time to do it and then you know how would you make that investment uh, to make sure that the program is sustainable as well as um, you know so that takes a little bit of work I have been at an institution where they reinstituted it after many years um, didn't have a great pro forma put together and then af after several years we had to sunset it again that's a hard um, and I had to do it when I was president at the other institution that's hard to do so let's make the case where's the investment going to come from and then how do you sustain it if we were ever to to consider it again talking with Dr. Candy Dietemeyer the president here at Central Piedmont Community College 
What went in the process of actually buying like a public TV station? How did that come about? Because I had no idea, and I would bet a lot of people don't know that you guys actually own that. So the college actually didn't buy the station. Oh, okay. It was a partnership with Mecklenburg County. At the time, um, it was a county-owned station, and prior to my arrival, it's probably been, gosh, you're really doing my history now, it's, it's been in our repertoire for many years, maybe 12, 14, I'd have to go back and look. Um, so through that partnership, the college did take WTVI on. So it is under our umbrella. We are the only public broadcasting station in North Carolina that's not currently held by PBS North Carolina. Um, and so we have an overlap market, not only with them, but also one coming out of South Carolina and win the market a lot. So I'm very proud. It's an Emmy award-winning station. And so for many years, as I said, we have um, had WTBI as part of the public broadcasting system and as the station. And it's just another tool in our toolbox. I agree. I think they do some great programming. I'm glad to hear that you're a fan of our cooking show. That's good to know. Um, I hope you're a fan of our culinary program as well, because it's, uh, it's um, award-winning as well. And uh, you should come over and, and try it out sometime. Talking with Dr. Candy Dietemeyer, the president here at Central Piedmont Community College. Challenges. So we've talked a lot about the good things that have been going on and the things are getting you know, bigger and better. What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced and that you've faced maybe since you've been here that either A, you overcame or that you're still trying to face? So I always look at those as opportunities because we're in the opportunity business and it's always how you serve more students or how you serve the public in, a, in the community in a better way. So we have a huge footprint, as you know, the, 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 as I said, the voters and the citizens of Mecklenburg County and the County Commission have been extraordinary to us. And so the physical assets that we have throughout the county are unlike, I mean, you've seen the facilities here. They're unlike anything imaginable at a lot of community colleges across the country and certainly across the state. So how do you utilize those assets and resources to continue to train people, bring people in who either want one class, want to earn a credential, want to earn a degree? So that's a huge opportunity for us to continue to deepen our partnership with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. I've had a couple of superintendents since I've been here, obviously, almost the last seven years. Dr. Hill and I have met. I think she's an extraordinary leader. Um, we've already, um, there, you know, there was some low-hanging fruit. We got an early college started this fall here on Central Campus. We have four middle colleges already throughout um, our suburban campuses. We're looking to turn those into from middle colleges to early colleges. So deepening that relationship can only be an opportunity for kids. It can only be an opportunity for CMS. It can only be an opportunity for Central Piedmont. What's good for them is going to be extraordinary for us. Um, I think certainly coming through the pandemic, any institution, whether you're in higher education, a business, um, there's lots of lessons learned about that. I will tell you, I've never been more proud of the hard work of faculty and staff to make sure it's, it is a business, but to make sure that the impact that we were making around teaching and learning and individuals continuing to create opportunities for individuals during that, uh, it, the, the work that they were able to do was extraordinary. At Central Piedmont, that was compounded because we had um, a disruption, uh, a technology disruption that was pretty, pretty severe. So we were managing what most folks would consider two crises at once for a period of time. We didn't look at it that way. Um, we had already learned some lessons from the pandemic. We applied those to the second. And again, the incredible work of faculty and leadership and staff to continue to serve students in this community. When we, we look, there's a word beyond pivot that we were able to do, managing both of those at the same time. And so those are some of the opportunities that we've come through. Um, I would say the biggest one 
and I'm not going to mention finances because there's always going to be a, an opportunity around when will we have a state budget or look even during the pandemic the opportunity for us we were in the middle of a major comprehensive campaign the largest in the history of the college the goal was 40 million even through that we were able to raise over 66 million dollars none of that was for facilities we needed to look beyond facilities and say what are really the goalposts all of those resources are going to be put toward supporting students supporting teaching and learning to supporting emergent needs that are happening every day on the campus. And so to do all of that in the midst of my almost seven year tenure is nothing but opportunity. Are there things that I wish we could have done differently? Of course, but I will tell you the faculty, the staff and the leadership of this institution have just been remarkable. And the leaders who volunteer to serve on our board or the foundation board are just so generous and supportive. And so I see nothing but opportunity and the biggest opportunity we have is every individual in this community who wants an opportunity to better themselves, get a different skill, go back to school, change jobs, think differently, grow as an individual. There's no institution in Charlotte-Mecklenburg that I think can do that better than Central Piedmont. And so the doors are wide open because remember we're an open-door institution. You don't have to take an SAT or an ACT. You don't have to, we take everybody. And the doors are always wide open at every one of those campuses, even the ones you don't remember or know about, right? <laughs> so that is part one of my interview with Dr. Candy Dietemeyer, the president over there at CPCC, Central Piedmont Community College. Part two will be up tomorrow, and there are a lot of interesting things about that one as well. But I did think it was interesting what she had to say about sports. I mean, everyone wants sports. UNCC did it. UNC Charlotte did it. They really wanted to add football to that program. And now look at it 10 years later. And like I said, Gaston College just put in basketball and I think girls softball. So it's a thing that people think can help generate money. And I think it would be interesting to see if they actually try to incorporate it over there. Okay, so when we come back, let's talk about a couple other things before we send you off into the night. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you for just a few more moments here on Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110 as always. And guys, follow me on X slash Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen. All right, Carolina Panther fans, does it make it better or worse that there's a chance Bryce Young doesn't play this weekend? I think he's got an ankle sprain or he's got a foot injury, and there's a big chance that Andy Dalton will play this weekend. Bryce Young didn't practice yesterday, and he didn't practice today. What does that mean going into the game at Seattle? I don't know what I think about this. Uh, is it good that Bryce Young is going to sit down? And by the way, before anyone says anything, well, see, he's too small. Ankles have nothing to do with his size. 0.0. Ankles have nothing to do with the size of the human being and whether or not they're going to get injured or not. So this is not that. Him getting sacked and hurt, that might be a size thing, but a sprained ankle is a sprained ankle is a sprained ankle. So, I, but I am curious to see what happens and... You know, if he plays tomorrow or practices tomorrow, what does that mean for Sunday? And if he doesn't practice tomorrow, then my guess would be that it would be Andy Dalton since Andy Dalton took the first team snaps yesterday and today. Is that a good thing? Should they let Andy Dalton play for a little bit and then bring uh, Bryce Young back in? I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And don't forget, as good as Tua is right now and he is lighting it up, you know, down there in Miami, 
he had a couple of, you know, early and bad starts as well. There was that whole rookie year thing where he didn't even play like the first seven or eight games. It, it was uh, Fitzpatrick. He was the starting quarterback. And then, you know, they put in Tua as a big controversy, and he would start and then get benched and start and get benched. Like, it was a whole thing. And now here we are a few years later, and Tua looks like a million dollars and has it down pat, and that may be the exact same thing for Bryce Young. It's going to take a little bit. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. But right now, Bryce Young being injured, that's a big deal. Uh, because in just terms of development and what it means going forward, does Andy Dalton, why does the Panthers go there and win? Does Andy Dalton stay the starting quarterback coming back next week, a home against the Minnesota Vikings? Like These are a lot of questions that you have to ask. Are the Panthers into the development of Bryce Young, or are they trying to get the wins? That's what it boils down to, because they may not be the same results. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for tonight. Look forward to doing this all over again tomorrow. And until then, I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.